0: Voices. We hear them every day. Some voices, like mine, are smooth and comforting. While, on the other hand, the Chad and Cheese podcast is like listening to a Nickelback album. You'd rather stab yourself in the ears with an ice pick. Anyway, you're now listening to Voices, a podcast series from Chad and Cheese that features the most important and influential voices within the recruitment industry. Try not to fuck it up, boys. A name change, another pivot, and catching a wave that would lead to signing up nearly 10,000 clients. On top of that, more investment came in, and our friend, Rakeem Morris discusses his experience about being a black man, raising money for his startup. It would all lead to our work being the company that it is today. It's not quite Breaking Bad or The Sopranos, but this finale, part of the Chad and Cheese podcast's Voices series, is quite remarkable, even if I may be a tad biased. Till next time, I'm co-host Joel Cheeseman, and this is more of our interview with Rakeem Morris. CEO and founder at Our Work. So you're, you're talking about a pivot, which when Chad and I talk about the numerous startups that we talk about all the time, pivots are a, they're just built in, right? It's just baked into what you do. You didn't start out as Our Work. You started out as Surge. Talk about that name. You've talked about the pandemic pivot. What other pivots did you face in the early days of the company?
1: yeah it's yeah this is uh gonna be a trip down memory lane for me there's been uh quite a bit you know in terms of main major pivots there's been i one with the company uh in terms of um like these smaller mini pivots i mean there's there's countless of them uh you know the first thing that we were doing as a company is we were getting involved uh a lot with scheduling you know we were uh backfilling shifts for people and we thought that we needed to get uh, well, just very integrated into the scheduling system at these employers. And given the integration challenges that we were experiencing, we decided to build out a scheduling platform at that time. It it was something that was too big for us. Uh, time, like programming time is actually really, really difficult. Uh, and then getting it right uh, is even more difficult, especially when you're dealing with employers who want to make sure that their operations are running as efficiently and smoothly as possible. It was something that wasn't, going to benefit us long-term. Uh, and so we dropped the scheduling component of that, and we kept this uh, backfilling of the shift component, and that became Surge. So before Surge, actually, there was something that we had called ADA, ADAY, A-D-A-Y, there's, uh, there happens to be, by the way, uh, a woman's clothing company in New York City that we occasionally got confused with.
2: It's where Joel gets his shorts, yes.
1: Oh, I could tell. Um, <laughs> the camera that's on right now. okay uh, and so That's our first product. Once we remove the scheduling component of this, uh, that's when we changed our name to Surge. Uh, we were only dealing with shifts that became open because, let's say, someone was sick or their car breaks down or something like that. Uh, that's when we made our first big pivot. Um, to just, and then after shifts, uh, that's when we not focus on surge, which was this individual shift product that we had, and then pivot to what we're doing today uh, as a company as a result of the pandemic.
2: So, around that, you, you're ta- you, you talk about concepts, right? And then there's execution because you can ideate all day. I mean, there are plenty of people that do it talk about the execution point to this pivot because you know it's it, it's not as easy as it might sound you can't just put it on the whiteboard and it happens so I talk about talk about that that actual transition pivot who was involved I mean I would assume that there's a good amount of uh, of company interaction then also founder interaction
1: yeah a hundred percent you know for me uh, when I'm thinking about this business, and just businesses in general, um, well, startups at least, um, you know that there are going to be certain pieces to to the puzzle of your grand vision that you will need to assemble at some point in time. So let's say, as an analogy, let's say you are building a car, you know that you need to have your axles, your drivetrain, your wheels, uh, your doors. You know that you have a certain list of components that you'll need to build a car that functions and that's legal and that runs. Uh, Same thing with the business. You know eventually you'll need to have, let's say from an operational standpoint, like marketing, you need to have sales. Uh, But from a vision standpoint, uh, which I have very clear in mind, um, there were certain components of the vision that needed to be true that we know that we need to build at some point in time. It's uh, it's strictly a matter of sequencing that is, uh, that's, that's the question at hand. And for us, around the time of the pandemic, we had proven at that point that former employees are willing to return back to their former employers for on-demand shifts. What we haven't proven just yet is that former employees are willing to come back to their employers for full-time and part-time jobs. When the pandemic happened... We weren't doing that one component of the larger vision that we know that we need to do. Uh, But there was another part component of that larger vision that we uh, we saw an opportunity to uh, to launch a new product to the market um, that would that would accomplish uh, the component of this long term vision, which was getting uh, former employees to return back to their former employers.
0: You're talking about. Consumers driving the pivot or what you're, what you're doing going forward. And I think that's a little surprising to people that are doing a lot of competitive analysis and what's the market opportunity. It sounds like that wasn't a big part of your decision to, to do or to, to change course with the company. Was it a part or does it even need to be a part? Is, is it consumer demand that should drive it?
1: The broader market context was uh, the only reason that we decided to, to pivot this company and in following that and wanting to catch the wave. We did two things around the time of pandemic. And that's just me, us uh, looking forward to the future, thinking, well, half a million people are being laid off of work uh, every single week. Uh, what's going to be the next phase of this? Well, the next phase is a massive rehiring effort of employers. And we have documents here on the team that are labeled entitled in the beginning, call something else. Uh, Catch the wave. Catch the wave dot business plan, catch the wave dot, you know, all the other internal documents that we have. We created a program uh, at the company that was focused exclusively on catching the wave of the massive rehiring effort of employers. And uh, we built that product right before things got really serious in terms of the rehiring efforts. And we caught that wave all the way up into nearly 10,000 restaurants that we now have on the platform.
2: Which is predictable right? I mean, that was predictable. You could see that this was going to happen. So yes, you weren't actually addressing something that was happening in the market. You were addressing something that you knew that was incredibly predictable that was going to
0: happen in the market. Go where the fuck yeah, is going.
1: Exactly. Yeah. 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 It, go where the fuck is going. You know, running out of time too, I wish I would have known that Tupperware stock would have gone through. <laughs> it went from cents on March 27, 2020 to $33 on December 31st. <laughs> yeah. So that's another way I was. About, would have caught the wave on <laughs> right next to the eggs.
2: Maybe, maybe, maybe next time. Maybe next time. <laughs> so, so in 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 talking about the the actual product now, first and foremost, why did why did you feel like you needed a brand a, a rebrand? Uh, why why didn't you just pivot under the same name?
1: I really enjoy this question. I always wanted to have a name for the company that, and I was proud of her last name. I wanted to be proud of, and I wanted to represent exactly what our mission and vision were for the company. The uh, company it's called Our Work, and it is a play on words, maybe a play on spelling is a better way to say that. Uh, the hour is spelled with H. I'm sure you get the connection. And this is really this is uh, this gets back to the the reason why I founded the company, uh, which was to benefit people that worked these jobs, uh, especially recognizing and acknowledging the skills that they've earned from these employers and using that knowledge to get additional income.
2: So personalizing it, it's our work.
1: Yes, exactly. Our work. Um, You know, hourly workers, hourly employers, our platform. uh, That's the reason why it's our work. So you've raised a total of
0: just over $16 million. What was the decision to go raise more money? Was it always something that was in your mind like, okay, we got a seed, now I got to go get a Series A? Um, are you looking to get more money? Also interested in raising money as as a black man and your take on the difficulty of that and challenges
1: that maybe others don't have.
2: I think you're closer to 18 now, aren't you?
1: Yep, $18.1 million. Um, there's one uh, fundraise that's not recorded because it is a convertible debt note. <laughs> uh, so you, you won't find it in the, the public public documents, I, I, I suppose. Uh, and so uh, why did we waste money and, and when we raised it? You know, uh, the first couple of rounds were, it was clear that we needed to raise money because I need to hire a team that get engineers uh, who are very expensive uh, <laughs> uh, to work here at our work uh, at the company. Uh, and so it was clear then, you know, and, and I've actually been pretty good with this, um, which is to set out uh, very, very explicit objectives that I wanted to accomplish uh, with a certain set of funds and then going out for each one of those raise with those objectives being first and foremost in my pitch. Uh, and so uh, I was always raising uh, based on some initiative that I wanted to, to achieve and accomplish here at the company. And each of my raises have, well, just done exactly that. I'm actually... My forecasts uh, for uh, everything I've told investors so far has come true, including my top line revenue number, which I'm really proud and happy about. What what might that be? Name names. Uh, it will be public dollars now. And so we're right above uh, $5 million, just a little bit over two years in the market, uh, which I'm also really – Really, really proud of uh, of, of my team, uh, and, and uh, of course me being involved in that, uh, uh, getting us to that point.
0: Well, ra- raising money as a as a black man, your your impression of that more challenging, different than a white guy.
2: Much, much like the Harvard experience, I would assume. Definitely, yeah. It's
1: it's exactly that. You know, there's um. It certainly is more difficult to raise money as a black founder, and it's not because people are sitting, let's say, in a decision making room thinking about, oh, this black guy just pitched to me. <laughs> let's let's say no because he's black. No one is having that conversation anywhere. Uh, what happens is that you know I'm sitting across the table from an investor who grew up in a suburb of some really big city that we all know of. And they went to a boarding school. They went to this same schools I went to, Ivy uh, I schools and they've just had a very different type of life than I did. And we're sitting across the table and we don't have anything in common. And so now there's no small talk. There's just very, very strictly business is what we're talking about. And, you know, very small differences and micro behaviors that, Culturally come up, those are not relatable. And so, uh, for that reason, it is, you know, there's just uh, less favorable outcomes um, for black on this. There's uh, unconscious biases, uh, certainly, of, of investors. And There is also, you know, I think we also think that we're in complete control of our mind. Um, You know, 99% of the day we're doing things on autopilot. And if you're not intentional about the evaluation process for the founders that come into your room, you're going to have unpredictable results. One of the things that we do here at this company is that when people are interviewing for a role here on the team, we make sure that we're asking that person, each person that comes in for that one role, the same questions. And we want to make sure that we can compare apples to apples. That does not exist in the VC world. No one's asking the same questions. No one's no one's caring about uh, creating a fair and equal process. Uh, and, it, and I say that because it's not an intentional process of making sure that they're picking the winners. Um, it's all based on gut feelings uh, about the, the pattern recognition that they have. And, uh, you know, I am saying all that to say that it hasn't phased me in a bit. I go into a room, I go into a pitch uh, expecting to win, expecting to get an investment and walking away with a yes from the investors that I meet every single time.
2: I have to say I, intentional isn 't a word that just automatically points to you for goodness' sakes i mean you 've been in intentional through through the the, the the whole walk it sounds like of this of this journey um, when it, when, it, when it comes down to the actual platform itself, everybody and Joel and I talk about this all the time talks about they talk about how they slap dei on their platform and they put their thumbs up or ai on the platform and they put their thumbs up uh you guys haven't done that you have you've kind of you've kind of stayed away from that why is that when that is the popular thing to do and also uh moving moving toward with that wave uh you know what do you think how do you think your platform can just help find people who are qualified
1: yeah. Yeah. I, I, I really appreciate this question, um, especially thinking about the, you know, the types of people that work uh, these jobs, uh, these wage earning jobs. So you're thinking about when we're thinking about jobs that pay less than uh, 30, 40 thousand dollars a year, uh, those jobs are going to be worked predominantly by uh, blacks and Latinos in the United States, you know. Uh, The majority of people uh, that that work these jobs are going to be um, U.S. minorities, um, again, black and Latinos primarily. And, uh, well, these employers, at least at this level, uh, don't struggle with DEI in the same way that, let's say, um, a desk job would.
0: I want a little shout out to you. Your your team is very diverse. Uh, And and Chad mentions the companies with DEI on their pitches and their websites. And then you look at their leadership team and uh, it's not so diverse. So you guys walk the walk, uh, which I think is which is which is commendable and was that on purpose is that based on your your interviewing process which you just said is everyone gets the same question and also one of your corporate mantras is be like the army explain that
1: yeah two things here Uh, we have on our job postings that we focus on dei at the company and it is a program that we have here internally Uh, i will also say that we always always hire the best person for the job when you have an interview process in which you're comparing apples to apples, what happens is that you get a more diverse group. So no one gets a job because they're a woman, because they're black, because they're you know whatever it is, no one gets a job for that reason. Uh, we're able to get a diverse team at this company because we run our interviews well, and that's the reason why we have a diverse team uh, here at this company. Uh, and so that's that's one. And in terms of the army, uh, I think you may be referring to somehow uh, sometimes how I pitch what we want to do longer term with this company, which is that we want, let's say, a McDonald's manager to think about their workforce very much like the Army does. They have your active duty people and you have your reserves. And we want a place like McDonald's to think about their headcount as every single person that they have ever trained. It's also... (laughs) The case that one of eight people (laughs) at have worked at McDonald's. And so you can imagine now that you have your active duty staff uh, working at McDonald's, uh, a shift becomes open or someone quits their job. Uh, You're able to go into your previously trained people, just like, The Army does with their reserves. Uh, Get that person in here in short order and make sure that you're meeting every single operational metric goal initiative that you have at your restaurant. And it's something that when employers embrace it, they will have a operational revolution that they've never experienced.
2: It's pretty amazing, though, too, as you talk about that. When we were uh, at war in Iraq and Afghanistan, there were many times when we had more infantry units that were National Guard and Reserve on the ground overseas than we did active duty. So being able to actually structure a workforce Like This gives you more assets and more availability to actually get the job done, especially when we have uh, issues with um, people. I mean, jobs just going going totally unfilled positions going unfilled and uh, companies that are missing top line revenue because of those unfilled positions.
1: Exactly. Yeah. There are more than enough people in the United States work every single hour of every single job. The reason that we don't do it today is a collaboration failure among employers that they don't recognize these skills as universal skills to be shared among employers so that people can work at multiple employers. If that were something to be true with wage earning jobs, they, and then people were actually able to do it legally, which is a whole other thing. Uh, then every single job and every single hour will be filled. Overtime, all the stuff, all the things that, that owner-operators, operators, managers, franchisees worry about, this would all be solved with the platform as I'm describing it.
2: So re- requirements... Are- go down real quick when you're when you're hiring from a requirement standpoint one of the biggest issues that i see with companies today the requirement is a is a need right we need you to have this skill this skill this skill a want is i would like you it would be nice if right you had these we're clumping them all together these days in the same group and when people are applying, you're getting a variety of mishmash of, of people who meet the wants and or needs and vary in a variety of ways.
1: Um, you know, there's a case that, well, actually, every single employer outside of QSRs, uh, fast food places, they don't know which positions their employees are trained on. They just don't know. And I know it because we've sat down with managers at places and gone through the entire roster uh, on a table with all of the positions on the Y axis and the people on the X axis and then fill out every single one of the boxes. Can this person be a sweeper here? Can this person be an expediter here and have done that exercise dozens and dozens of times? And so what happens when you have a short-term staffing need? You, don't, you, you literally don't know who to call uh, because you haven't recorded these positions or skills um, either at that employer or you're recognizing some external skills uh, that, that you need at that job. And so there is that, uh, there's that uh, uh, not knowing what someone can do. Uh, that there that prevents us from having an efficient labor market, um, both local to just that one employer, uh, that one location, and just the broader labor market. Well, uh, we just don't know what people can do.
0: You mentioned uh, McDonald's and at risk of getting even hungrier than I already am with all these fast food names being dropped. Uh, a, a popular story that we read a few years ago was a McDonald's franchisee paying fifty dollars for people just to come in and interview. I assume that's the kind of problem that you're looking to solve at our work and what what's sort of your like what did what would you do for that with that franchisee and what is just sort of your overall opinion and perspective on the state of hourly work in America
1: two, two big questions so the, the first one is uh, what would I do to um, let's say uh, advice or some suggestion that I would make to that 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 owner who is um paying people 50 bucks for their interviews uh is that is that right yes and they weren't they weren't even coming in for for $50 yeah you know, I think a better way, a long term, that's a very short term uh, solution uh, to a problem that they have. I'd say that they, well, what I would suggest to them is that they take the 50 bucks or the amount of money they're paying to the people, 50 bucks times, let's say, you know, 10, uh, 10% success rate and they need to fill 50 roles. Now they have 500 interviews and they're paying, I don't know, uh, 25 $2,500 for this. Uh, maybe that, that math is right. Um, uh, but they're paying a lot of money for people to take interviews, people that are not guaranteed to eventually work at that employer. A, a, a longer term uh, sustainable solution would be to take that amount of money they're paying for interviews and pay that to their existing staff for doing a good job at that, at that employer uh, to engage in some profit sharing with their hourly workers and their frontline workers. You know, in the same way that, you know, desk workers, I look forward to my bonus at the Of the year, uh, and how that incentivizes people to stay longer at that employer to cash out on their bonus by the end of the year. That same thing could do wonders for employers, uh, especially uh, employers that have hourly workers. Having that bonus structure of profit sharing could incentivize people to stay longer at that employer and take more pride in their work. Uh, One thing I'm confident about is that there is, for many people, a stigma for working in these types of jobs. And it's a stigma for many different reasons. One of the main reasons is that it's a job that is very much plug and play for certain people. You're not walking into McDonald's with a certificate or a license to say, I'm a proficient, it's not a professionalized job uh, just yet. But when you do things like profit sharing, you get people on the front line thinking about how they can improve the profit margins of their employers uh, because you're doing profit sharing and more profits at the store has, the more that you get your take home pay as an hourly worker that is engaging in a profit sharing program. And so I would take the money that they would spend on interviews and really create a robust uh, uh, benefit package that would include profit sharing at that employer. Uh, and that will do so much <laughs> again for their operations <laughs> and absenteeism, people showing up on time. Uh, it would do a lot. Absolutely.
0: Rakeem Morris, everybody. Thanks for giving us so much of your time. For those listeners out there that want, want to know more about you or our work, where would you send them?
1: Yeah. Uh, you can go to Rakeem.com. It's my Twitter. Follow me. And then you can also go to ourwork.com. Uh, make sure you spell our with the H <laughs> <laughs> uh, to get to the right place. And uh, you'll find out more about uh, me, the company, what we're working toward, and more about our vision uh, and where we see the market going uh, for our work. Awesome. Such a pleasure, man. We appreciate the time. Chad,
0: I'm going to go get some Taco Bell, man. I don't, I don't know about you. <laughs> you, you should. should. Uh, we out.
1: Girl. Yes. We there's out. Yes. Grilled cheese. Do it. <laughs> see ya.
2: You can find more episodes of Voices, the Chad and Cheese podcast series devoted to stories and opinions of industry leaders by subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts or just visit chadcheese.com. You've got questions,
0: we've got answers.